value. So if you want to have some office hours, if you have any questions, you want to meet with me, you can drop me a line on that email and then tell me roughly what are your available times. I guess most of them will be in the morning. Some days you don't have uh, small groups. So that I know where you're available, we can make an appointment at a time that is convenient for you. And I'm located in this little, not in this window, but looking the other side, but fifth floor of the SD6 building, just across the road. Okay? Okay, we start with a question to see whether you are awake. This is refreshing our memory about the first lecture about pharmacodynamics. Okay, so what's the answer? Oh, what is this? I'm sorry. No. There we go. Sometimes these things happen. Okay. Okay, now it's better. So it shifts the agonist dose response curve to the right. That's what a reversible compare antagonist is expected to do. Okay. So these two lectures are about what is called clinical pharmacokinetics. Okay. So this involves a number of numerical questions, uh, problems, equations, and some formulas. I know that most people have a bit of horror and terror and panic in front of these things, but hopefully these lectures plus the small group and the IMCQ on Friday will try to remove this fear you have of numerical things and formulas. And see that basically these are easy things that, you know, in a way is a guaranteed point in the exam. You know the formula, you put the data in and the answer comes out. So what's the purpose of clinical pharmacokinetics. So the purpose of this is to design what is called a dosage regimen, which will optimize the therapeutic response of the drug and minimize the incidence of adverse reactions. Okay, so basically the idea is that, you know, somebody is taking a drug for a long time, for example, a drug to reduce cholesterol or reduce blood pressure, drugs that are taken for life in general, so you try to design a regimen so that the patient benefits maximally from it and has as little adverse effects as possible, okay? There's a fundamental tenet 
that basically underpins everything we are going to discuss. And is this, a relationship exists between the effect of a drug and the concentration of the drug in the blood. Okay, this seems straightforward, but it's not that simple. So basically we said the other day drugs act on the site of action. For example, you take a drug, antidepressant drug, for example, and will act in your brain. But you never take samples of the brain of the patient to see whether the concentration of the drug in the brain is enough to cause an effect. You don't. You always take blood, take samples from the blood. Okay? So for that to be meaningful, well, there has to be some relationship between the concentration of the drug in the blood and the concentration of the drug in the site of action that that is where it's going to cause an effect. Okay, so basically the idea is regardless of where the site of action of the drug is, you always measure the drug levels in the blood, not anywhere else. Okay, so there has to be a correlation because if that wasn't the case, you know, this wouldn't work, we could all go home and nothing would mean anything here. Huh? So the plasma concentration of the drug, which is what we are going to measure, is a function of the rate of input of the drug into the plasma. So you are taking the drug, for example, with tablets. The rate of distribution of the drug to the tissues, so some of the drug is escaping from the blood, and the rate of elimination of the drug. So basically you have rate in, rate out. Rate in is you taking the drug, rate out is the drug distributing and being eliminated. And we're back to the diagram we've seen a couple of times. No? So we are looking at this. This is what we are taking samples of to know the plasma levels of the drug, the drug in the circulation. And so you have input, the drug administered, and then output, distribution and elimination. So whatever is in the circulation is a function of what is coming in minus what is coming out. Okay? There are three parameters that are important to generate this dosage regimen that we want to generate. The volume of distribution, the clearance, and the bioavailability. Bioavailability, we already know what it is. We need to introduce the other two parameters. Volume distribution, which is a measure of the apparent space <coughs> in the body available to contain the drug. Clearance is a measure of the body's ability to eliminate the drug. So the volume distribution, this is the parameter that most people have problems understanding. Okay, so we're going to spend some time discussing. Relates the amount of drug in the body to the concentration of drug in the plasma. So that is defined by this equation. Amount of drug in the body divided but plasma drug concentration. Okay? Now, the volume of distribution is not a physiological volume. It's an apparent volume. So look at this. We know that concentration is always amount over volume. No? So if you have, say, five grams of sugar in a liter of water, well, you have five grams 
per liter of sugar. So volume then is amount over concentration. Okay, so that's what we have here. Volume is amount over concentration. But you see, the amount of drug in the body is, you know it exactly, because that's the amount of the dose you gave the patient. But the drug is not only in the plasma. It's somewhere else as well. It's going to be in the liver, in the extracellular tissues, in the brain. So this, you can see, is a pseudo-volume. It's not a real volume because you are dividing the amount of drug over the concentration of drug in the plasma only. So it's an apparent volume, okay? It's a fake, it's an alternative volume, as it were, no? So this is the concept that I want you to metabolize and digest, no? Volume of distribution is the volume that would be required to contain all of the drug in the body at the same concentration as it is in the blood. Okay? So, you're measuring the concentration in the plasma, so the volume of distribution is the volume that you will need to contain all the dose, you know, the amount of the drug that you've taken, if the uh, concentration was the same as it is in the blood. Okay, let's discuss this. So if you have a drug that is completely constrained inside the vascular compartment, so it's all in the blood, well, then the volume of distribution will be the volume of the blood, okay? Because in that case, this will be true. So if all the drug is in the plasma, well, then the volume distribution will be the volume of the plasma, about five liters, okay? But if you have a drug that is very lipophilic and quickly has escaped, from the blood into other tissues, and it's mainly in other tissues, well then the volume of distribution will be very high because you know, if, if the concentration in plasma is very low, then the volume distribution will be consequently very high. Okay? So, for example, you have a drug that is very lipophilic and maybe accumulated in the body fat, in the adipose tissue, no? and there's very little left in the plasma, so the VD may be very, very high. For example, quinacrine, which is an anti-malarial drug, has a volume of distribution of 50,000 liters, okay? In, obviously, in somebody whose body volume is 70 liters, okay? So, this is the idea. Imagine this is a vascular compartment in a person, and this is everything else, the extravascular compartment, so everything which is not the blood. So if you have a drug that is mainly concentrated in the blood, the VD will be low. If it's more or less 50-50, will be medium. If it's like the case of quinacrine, where the molecules are mainly somewhere else, the VD will be high, okay? 
So let's go back to this definition because I'm sure that that is not very clear so far. So the volume that would be required to contain all of the drug in the body at the same concentration as it is in the blood. Let me give you an analogy, okay? <coughs> Let's imagine that there is a, a house, a big house. The house has many rooms. And for simplicity, let's imagine all the rooms are the same size, okay? And you know that in the house are a hundred rats, okay? A hundred rats. But you only are allowed to go into one of the many rooms of the house and see the rats. Now, so you walk, so this room obviously represents the blood which is the only compartment that you can take samples. So you walk into this room and there are 10 rats in that room, okay? So how many rooms would you need to contain all the rats in the house at the same concentration as they are in this room? 10 rooms, okay? Now imagine that you go into the house and there is only one rat in that room. How many rooms do you need to contain all the rats? A hundred rooms. So the lower the concentration of the drug in the blood, the bigger the volume you need to contain all the molecules of the drug. Okay, the same way that, you know, the, the lower the concentration of rats in the room, the more rooms you need to contain all the rats. That's the principle behind the volume of distribution, okay? So the lower the concentration, the larger will be the volume of distribution because the larger will be the volume you need to contain the dose of the drug, okay? <clears throat> I have patented the analogy of the rats. Okay. So what's the purpose of the volume of distribution? It allows you to convert concentrations to doses, okay? So it's a proportionality factor that relates the concentration of the drug in plasma to the amount of drug in the body. So allows us to convert concentrations to amount. So the main use of this is to calculate the dose that you need to achieve a certain target plasma concentration, okay? So if you tell me, you know, we need to achieve, uh, you know, 10 milligrams per liter concentration of this drug in this patient because that's a concentration that is therapeutically effective, you, you know, okay, so 10 million per liter is the target. You go to the tables and find the volume of distribution for that drug, and then you calculate the dose you need to give to achieve that concentration. Straightforward, okay? So it allows you to calculate a dose to achieve the concentration you want to achieve, the target concentration. That's the purpose of the VD. How do you determine the VD? Okay, again, this is something that there isn't a practical exercise 
in the small group number seven that you're gonna have on Thursday and Friday. To calculate the bidding, you need to know the amount of drug in the body and the plasma concentration that results, okay? So the only time when you know exactly the amount of drug in the body is immediately after the drug has been given IV, because otherwise after a while it's just being metabolized. So if we can determine the plasma concentration at time zero, so the C naught, then we can calculate the VD as follows. VD will be the dose over the concentration at time zero. Okay? So practically this is done like this. You have the drug, you take a certain dose and you inject it IV as a bolus, okay? Quick injection. And then you take samples of the blood of the subject over time, and then you plot the plasma drug concentration over time. And the plot shows two phases, and these are a very important concept, okay? So if you plot the plasma concentration over time, so you gave here the IV bolus, remember, you don't see the concentration going up because it's a bolus, it's instantaneous. And you see that at first there is a rapid fall, and then there is a slower fall, okay? The rapid fall is a distribution phase, meaning the drug leaving the blood into other tissues. And the slower phase is the elimination phase, so the drug being metabolized and excreted into the urine. Sometimes they call the rapid fall the alpha phase, and the slower fall, the beta phase, okay? But the main thing to understand is that this is distribution, this is elimination, okay? So, what do we do now? All these things, mathematically, are exponential declines. Both the distribution and particularly the elimination follow an exponential decay, okay? So you know from college math that when you take the log of an exponential, you get a straight line. So you linearize the curve. So by taking the log of plasma concentration, you then see very clearly now the two phases, you know, the distribution phase and the elimination phase. Okay, you have a much more clear idea where they break. Hmm? So, the concept of this is that all the math behind all this concept is that the so-called single compartment model. Now, we don't have to go into detail, but basically the idea is that you consider the body of the patient here as a single compartment, like a big barrel, okay? well steered, okay? So if that is the case, so if you are a big barrel, <laughs> then there will be no distribution phase, okay? So for example, imagine you have, you know, in your days of chemistry, you have a big beaker, you know, with water and the magnetic steerer and you throw sugar, the whole thing will be quickly distributed. There will be, it will be instantaneous. Hmm? 
So that's the thing. So obviously that's not the case for us. You have many compartments, the blood and so on. So that's why the distribution takes some time. But if we were a big barrel, distribution would be instantaneous. So assuming that, how can we know what would be the initial concentration if distribution was actually instantaneous? Well, we can get that by extrapolating the elimination phase to the zero time, no? So the, to the y-axis, then ignoring the distribution phase. So this is our C0, the concentration that you would have had if the distribution had been instantaneous, okay? So our C0 is not this one here, it's this one. Okay, so this is a concentration that would exist if distribution would take zero time. Okay? So we got the initial concentration. So concentration is dose over volume. So volume is dose over concentration. That's the way we calculate the volume of distribution. Okay? Yeah? Are you with me? You believe me? Okay. So that's the way, and, and you have a similar exercise in the small group, okay? Good. So if we want to achieve quickly a target plasma concentration of the drug, we can calculate the dose using this equation. Dose is VD times target concentration. So knowing the VD, you can calculate any dose to achieve any concentration that you want to achieve. That's the purpose of the volume of distribution. Okay? Cool. Ah, I have another question. Okay, what's the answer? Well, if the volume of distribution is so high, means the drug is probably not mainly in the blood. So the plasma concentration is very low. So the drug is mainly in the extravascular space. Okay, any questions about this one? No, no, what I'm saying, low, uh, plasma concentration being low, meaning that, that the majority of the, of the drug is somewhere else. For example, we saw the case of quinacrine, so that basically the, the drug escapes, gets accumulated in the fat, 
and so that the concentration is, is low uh, relative to the concentration in other compartments of the body. No? So it's mainly somewhere else. No? And we have another one. This is a numerical question to start removing the fear. Paparazzi. <laughs> so this is an example of the use of the VD to calculate the necessary dose to achieve a target concentration. No? Very good. The concentration is 1. The VD is 40. 40 times 1 is 40. So that's the loading dose you need to achieve the 1 milligram per liter concentration. No, because it's given IV. When the drug is given IV, the bioavailability is always 100%. So you don't need to take it into account. If you gave this drug orally, for example, then you will need to know the bioavailability. And then you have to multiply it for the dose. No? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so now we come to the second parameter. This is much more straightforward, clearance. So clearance is defined as the volume of blood cleared of drug per unit time. Notice that it's not uh, defined as the amount of drug cleared per unit time. It's the amount of blood cleared of drug per unit time. It's not the same thing. So this predicts the rate of elimination of the drug in relation to the drug concentration. So clearance is defined as this. Rate of elimination of the drug over the plasma drug concentration. So notice, clearance is not the rate of elimination. It's the rate of elimination over the drug concentration in plasma. And the units are volume per time. So liter per hour, milliliter, per minute, typically, okay? So this, in terms of what we saw yesterday, reflects basically the clearance processes we mentioned before. So liver, metabolism, kidney excretion, okay? So the important thing to remember is that for most drugs available today, Clearance is constant, okay, over the range of concentrations that are used clinically. Therefore, the rate of drug elimination is directly proportional to the concentration of the drug in plasma. So this is the same equation now 
we are solving for rate. So rate of elimination is clearance times concentration. Okay, so notice the clearance is basically a proportionality factor between the concentration and the rate of elimination of the drug. When this happens, that the clearance is constant, and this happens for the wide majority of drugs, we say we have first order kinetics of elimination. Okay? So, rate of elimination is time concentration. So, if the clearance is constant, then the ratio of the rate of elimination over, uh, over concentration is always constant, regardless of the concentration of the drug in plasma. Okay? So you have basically you know, a linear relationship. Ah, we have another question. So the answer, metabolism and excretion. That's what clearance represents. No? So the hepatic metabolism and renal excretion mainly. Okay. Okay. So why do most drugs follow first order kinetics? Okay. So let's get a bit into the concepts behind this. No? So if you look at the elimination of drugs, you know, metabolism and excretion, most of the processes involved there are saturable processes, meaning they are mediated by proteins, enzymes, and transporters. You know, for example, you know, in the liver, you have all the P450 enzymes we mentioned the other day, which are saturable, so they are mediated by proteins. And you have, for example, the pumps in the tubule we mentioned yesterday that actively pump drugs into the tubule. Hmm? So this basically, there are some of them obviously uh, are not mediated by protein, but the majority of them are. Hmm? So then we are in the province of the Michaelis-Menten equation. Hmm? So if you look at the dependence of the rate of drug elimination on the concentration of the drug in plasma, you resort to the good old Michaelis-Menten equation. So rate of elimination is Vmax times concentration over Km plus concentration. Okay? So if we plot this, we get the typical hyperbola of um, Michaelis-Menten. No? So this is drug elimination rate 
versus plasma drug concentration. This thing we are plotting here is all the mechanisms that eliminate the drug. So all the P450 enzymes, other enzymes, the pumps in the tubule, and so on. So it's all together here versus the concentration of the drug in plasma. And of course, you have the Vmax and the KM. Okay, the KM, remember, is the concentration at which the, all these mechanisms are working at 50% of the maximal velocity. So as you increase the plasma concentration, the elimination rate increases, but eventually plateaus because you are saturating all the mechanisms of elimination. Okay? Now, when the drug concentration in plasma is very low compared to the KM, so concentration is much less than the KM, then the equation reduces to this. Now, so remember, we, we have this. So if the concentration is much lower than the KM, we can make it negligible and we kill it. Okay? Because it's very small. And so the rate of elimination becomes Vmax time concentration over Km. And you see now we can call Vmax over Km clearance. Okay? And so what we have is rate of elimination is clearance times concentration. Okay? So this situation we have here, the first order kinetics of elimination, is a limit case of the Michaelis-Menten equation, when the concentration is very low uh, compared to the Km. So look at this, no? This equation tells us that as you double the concentration, you double the rate of elimination. No, it's a linear relationship. So why is that? Notice this. When the concentration is much lower than the Km, this chunk of the Michaelis-Menten equation is basically a straight line. Okay? So you can see you have a linear relationship between the concentration and the elimination rate. So if you double the concentration, you double the rate of elimination. If the concentration was around here, that wouldn't be the case. No, because here the curve is getting flatter. So here, for example, if you double the concentration, you don't double the rate of elimination. But in this area, it is true. If you have a linear relationship between the concentration and the elimination rate. And the thing is, the wide majority of drugs that are used for clinical purposes actually have a, a concentration in plasma which is much lower than the KM of the mechanisms of elimination. So that's why you have this type of relationship in which the rate of elimination is clearance times concentration. Okay? Is this clear? Yeah? Okay. So the initial concentration 
of the drug is C0, which is dose over VD, the concentration at a later time will depend on the rate of elimination of the drug. I'm going to ignore the distribution phase that we discussed before for simplicity. So I'm just showing here the elimination phase, just to make it simple. So again, if you give a IV bolus, then when the drug follows first order kinetics, the drug concentration decays exponentially. Okay? So for drugs with first order kinetics, the rate of elimination is directly proportional to the drug concentration. No, I'm saying the same thing several times, but it's the same concept. No? So notice when the, 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 the slope of the curve is the rate of elimination. Hmm? So when the concentration of, of the drug is high, the curve is steep. As the concentration of the drug declines, the, the, the curve becomes less steep hmm? because the slope of the curve represents the rate of elimination. So as the concentration drops, the rate of elimination also drops. That's what is called first order kinetics. Hmm? So another thing to take home as message is that when a drug follows first order kinetics, a constant fraction of the drug is eliminated per unit time, not a constant amount, a constant fraction. For example, 10%, 20%, so on. Obviously, you know, 10% here is a lot, 10% here is little, but the fraction is the same, okay? If we plot the concentration as a logarithm, we linearize the curve. Remember, you know, when you take the log of an exponential, you get a straight line. And this confirms that you have a first order kinetics of elimination. Okay, when you take the log and the curve becomes a straight line, that tells you clearly that you're looking at a drug that follows first order kinetics. Okay. Okay, here we define a very important <coughs> concept, half-life, okay? Half-life is the time required to reduce the amount of drug in the body by 50% during elimination. And half-life is constant for drugs that follow first order, wide majority of drugs. So the clearance is constant, the half-life is constant. So half-life is useful because determines the rate at which the blood concentration rises during, for example, a constant infusion and then declines when you stop the infusion. So it tells you exactly the time course that the drug will follow towards steady state and then if you stop it all the way down to elimination. Okay, so imagine now, this is the simplest case. That's why normally the things are defined with the concept of a constant infusion because it's the, it's the easiest route of administration to understand. So imagine that the drug is being given as a drip, 
So you have the patient with a drip, and you are administering the drug IV, but not as an IV bolus, but as a slow, constant infusion, okay, with a constant infusion rate. So during such an infusion, every half-life, the drug concentration increases 50% of the difference between the future steady-state concentration that we call CSS and the current concentration, okay? Meaning, if you are here now, and that is my future steady state, after one half-life, you advance half of the space that separates you from the steady state. Another half-life, you do half of that half. Another half-life, half and so on. And so that's the way you approach steady state. Okay, so this picture shows what's going on. So this is percentage of the steady state concentration. And this is time, but in half-life, just to simplify. So each unit here is one half-life. Okay. So you start the infusion here slowly, and the concentration of the drug in plasma will increase following the time course dictated by the half-life. So this is the future steady state. So after one half-life, you got to 50% of the future state. After a second half-life, you advance half of the remaining half. So you are now at 75. So you advance 25%. One more half-life, you move you, uh, uh, forward half of that 25%, so 12.5, so 85.5. Another half-life, 93.75 and so on, until you reach the steady state. Okay, so each half-life, you move forward half of the space between where you are and the future steady state. Okay, and imagine if you stop the infusion, then the decline mirrors exactly the drug going up. After one half-life, you lose 50%, after two, 75%, after three, 87.5, after four, about 94%. So after four half-life, you have about 6% left, okay? So knowing the half-life, you know exactly how long it will take for the drug to reach steady state, and you know exactly how long it will take to disappear when you stop the infusion, okay? So this is something to remember. So during a constant IV infusion, 50% of the steady state reach after one half-life, 75 after two, 87.5 after three, 93.75 after four. So after four half-life, roughly you are at 94% of the steady state. When you stop the infusion, the opposite, 50% lost after one, 75, 87.5, 93.75 after four half-life, okay? So that's the idea of, and the use of the half-life, okay? So the half-life is proportional 
to the VD and inversely proportional to the clearance. Okay, so the larger the VD, the larger the half-life, the bigger the clearance, the lower the half-life. And the equation that actually relates half-life with VD and clearance is this. Half-life is 0.693 times VD always over clearance. Now, you know that this 0.693 always comes is a conversion between natural logarithms and decimal logarithms. So you can approximate it to 0.7, okay? Also, obviously, you can calculate the half-life uh, graphically, not just by looking at a picture like this. You can see, okay, if this is the steady state, okay, 50%, one half-life, you can calculate the half-life also uh, graphically. Okay, let's stop here, and I see you in 10 minutes.